The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Why in the world did such a horde of people leave the comfort of their homes and rush out into the desert to listen to John the Baptist, who was preaching a message of repentance? Would you and I flock to the corner of Main and Ninth if we heard that there was a preacher there on a soapbox shouting, repent? I don't think so. And yet, today's gospel tells us that the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out into the desert to listen to John. Why did they go? What was so attractive about John's message of repentance? I think part of our problem with understanding the attraction of John's message of repentance is that the word repent has been hijacked over the centuries by preachers whose message of repentance is really nothing but a threat of eternal damnation. Repent or else. But the heart of John the Baptist's message of repentance is not a threat, 
but rather a call to prepare to enter fully into the reign of God, which is now and always at hand. Repent, John exhorts his listeners, which includes us, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or as the message translation reads, change your life. God's kingdom is here. The biblical Greek word for repentance, metanoia, carries none of the negative connotations which the word repentance has accumulated down through the centuries in Western Christianity. Metanoia comes from two root words, meta, to change, and nous, one's mind, one's way of thinking and perceiving. Another Bible translation of today's passage replaces the word repentance in this way. Turn to God and change the way you think and act. Turn to God and change the way you think and act. But you may be saying to yourself, I'm a good person. And while I know I have my faults, Changing the way I think and act is a little drastic, isn't it? Yes, it is. But when John the Baptist and Jesus call us to repentance, they aren't advising us on how to rearrange the furniture. Here's the thing, my friends. We humans are really good at deceiving ourselves. That's not being cynical. It's an observation made not only by psychologists and theologians, but business leaders also. Tony Schwartz, a business journalist and author of several books on business, wrote this in a 2011 article in Business Insider. Each of us shares an infinite capacity for self-deception. What we fail to see, or willfully resist seeing, runs us outside our awareness." Unquote. My friends, Jesus knows very well how easily we can deceive ourselves. For example, by failing to see the log in our own eye while criticizing the speck in someone else's eye. What we fail to notice, that log in our own eye, distorts our perception of the world, ourselves, and others, allowing us to deceive ourselves. In that same Business Insider article, Tony Schwartz notes some prominent people in the business world who have been caught doing egregiously criminal or harmful things, and he wonders about the kinds of stories those people had to tell themselves to rationalize their behavior. Schwartz writes, what explanation did Bernie Madoff come up with 
to justify systematically defrauding thousands of clients, including friends and philanthropies, out of billions of dollars over many decades? What could have made John Thane, the ousted CEO of Merrill Lynch, feel it was reasonable to spend $1.3 million decorating his office and then seek a $10 million bonus during a year that his company was reporting billion-dollar quarterly losses. These were very shrewd, very successful men, Schwartz notes. What I believe they were missing above all were active inner lives. The antidote to self-deception is self-awareness. Among the thousands of senior corporate executives I've met and worked with over the years, no single quality is more conspicuously absent or less actively valued than the truthful examination of one's own inner life. What we don't see, our own inner inner motivations, our self-deceptions, our partisan biases, our self-referent way of looking at the world, what we don't see controls us. And what results is a loss of integrity, a loss of a oneness in ourselves. We who identify ourselves as Christians can often live out our lives in ways that are contrary to the very teachings and mindset of Christ. At least I know I can. We can somehow justify not forgiving someone, even though Jesus' teaching on forgiving 70 times 7 is crystal clear. And he himself, while hanging on the cross, forgave those who crucified him. We can somehow justify not doing our part to rescue the thousands of people fleeing war and terror and famine, despite the consistent injunction in both Old and New Testaments to welcome the stranger and feed the hungry. We can somehow justify hating our enemies, even though Jesus commands us to love them and pray for them. We do indeed, my friends, have an infinite capacity to deceive ourselves. And it is this very capacity to deceive ourselves that John the Baptist addresses head on. John the Baptist does not allow deception, author John Shea writes. He is searingly honest. This unflinching honesty is a core component of repentance. And that, I think, is the attraction of John's preaching, his unflinching honesty. My friends, I believe that in our world today, it has become more and more difficult to know the truth with a capital T, given the plethora of lobbyists, advertisers, influencers, and 
partisan news outlets and politicians trumpeting their own visions of truth, which remarkably just happen to serve their own purposes and advantage. We confuse our strongly held opinions with truth. And yet, I believe that deep within us, in our God-given DNA, there is an innate desire for what is true and real and genuine. And we yearn to get in touch with that and draw life from that reality with a capital R. Richard Rohr says that reality is another name for God. My friends, I believe that most of us are tired of living self-deceptive lives where our ego self, our false self, our small self, our shallow self, however you want to name it, calls the shots. While our deeper, more genuine self, our true self, who God created us to be, languishes in the dark recesses of our unconscious. This then, I believe, is the primary task of repentance. To honestly face our self-deceptions and distorted ways of seeing the world, ourselves, and others. And to ask God to help us see through Christ's eyes, changing our mindset so as to have the mind of Christ. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, St. Paul exhorts us. And Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And again, Jesus said, I was born and entered into the world so that I could witness to the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. And yet again, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. My friends, I think this is why the people in today's gospel left the comfort of their homes and journeyed into the desert to hear John the Baptist preach repentance. Because they knew that there was a way of life that was more real, more true, more honest, more genuine, more rooted in the flow of God's Holy Spirit, the love of God, and the mind of Christ than the way of life they were currently living. They yearned for a more genuine, true, and transformed life. And so do we. So do we. It is our Advent longing, but it will require repentance. As John Shea notes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but only the repentant will see it and reach for it. Of course, repentance can be hard, 
most changes are. All that language in today's gospel about the ax being laid to the root of the tree and fire burning away the chaff is very descriptive of how a lifelong journey of repentance, ongoing change and transformation of life can sometimes feel. John the Baptist calls us to open our eyes and recognize the many ways that we are deceiving ourselves and see where we have been hurting others, where we have avoided spiritual growth in our lives, growth in the truth, growth in God. Our final hymn today speaks of this Advent longing for truth in the midst of our self-deception and the many deceptions our world continues to generate and promote. In our final hymn, we will sing, Longing for light, we walk in in darkness. Longing for truth, we turn to you. Make us your own, your holy people, light for the world to see. Christ, be our light. Shine in our hearts. Shine through the darkness. Christ, be our light. Shine in your church gathered today.